Well, have you ever been sidelined? Have you ever been sidelined? I have. Maybe you've spent some time on the bench. I, I hate spending time on the bench. It's the worst. I remember in um, playing baseball in my younger years, uh, uh, I had some success in youth, and then in early teens, won a provincial championship. But then came that like 15, 16-year-olds, and I lost the zip on my fastball. And uh, I was um, all of a sudden got from big-time starter to spend a lot more time on the bench. And I, I've been thinking about that. I was like, maybe it was because I just overthrew, but I think it was more than that. It was because of the fact that I kind of stopped growing. And all the rest of the guys started catching up to me. And they surpassed me. I mean, this might help you. When I was in grade 12, I was only 5'10". I'm 6'3", right? So I, I was a late bloomer. And because of that, I sat on the bench. I hated sitting on the bench. Well, some of you today might be thinking you've sat on the bench way more than sports. Uh, maybe you've sat on the bench because you've been trying to climb the corporate ladder and you've, you've climbed to this point and you're like, there's no more rings, right? Someone cut them off. I'm not able to get to that next level. In the business culture, they talk about the Peter principle, right? You kind of hit your ceiling where you can't even go any further. You've maxed out your ability. Sometimes, though, it's really office politics, isn't it? Where you're sidelined. No more advancement. Still others of you, maybe in, in school, you've been going along and you were doing well in school and all of a sudden there's that one teacher, that one class, and boom, you went from an A student down to a lower grade, right? Down to the A, B, C, or D level. And man, you're discouraged and you feel sidelined. You feel like you're going to lose all your scholarships or your opportunities before you. You feel sidelined. There's even worse sidelines, though. Some of you today feel like you've been sidelined because your spouse took the exit ramp in the relationship and now you're on, the, on the, the side of the road of life and your family's all broken down and um, you just are struggling to figure out how to do the repairs on, on your family. And you feel sidelined. You don't know where to go. Still others of you feel sidelined because some whippersnapper, some young guy is taking over your role whether in the church, whether at work, whether just in life, and you feel sidelined. Well, can I tell you today that you should be encouraged because there's another guy who was sidelined. His name was Paul. Paul. Paul was sidelined. If you have your Bibles, please turn in them to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And um, you're going to, we're going to read about this guy named the Apostle Paul. And uh, you can look this up on your smartphone. Just Google it. Uh, Philippians chapter 1. That's how you spell it. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And um, we're going to find out that this guy named Paul is in a crazy situation. In fact, the Apostle Paul was the greatest church planter of the first century. And yet we find him as he's writing this letter that he's in jail. He's rotting in jail. This seems pretty ridiculous to me. 
Uh, scholars say he planted between 14 and 20 churches. I mean, we know from the New Testament that there was churches planted in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae, and Areopolis. That's just in, that's just in Asia, Asia Minor. Then in Greece, we have uh, churches in Corinth, uh, maybe Athens. Um, we also have in Thessalonica. We have it also in Corinth. We have churches planted. And also in, in Philippi, which is where this letter was written to. And so here's your best guy, God's best guy. And what is he doing? He's spending years in jail. That doesn't sound like a great plan, putting your, your best person in jail. And that's what we find that God has done. I mean, the best way I could, I could kind of illustrate this is it would be like taking Patrick Mahomes, the, the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, MVP. That should be a shout-out, Lori, for your yeah, go. <laughs> Super Bowl MVP. And putting him on the sidelines, even though he's healthy. Or, or getting to come to Jacob Hesper Secondary School and, and making him a QB coach, right? Like, that's what this is essentially happening here. And yet, we're going to find in this passage in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, that, that God's doing something. Would you like to find out? Okay, stand with me for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 18 This is what Paul says. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am, about, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So can we rejoice? Whatever God's saying to us. Can you be seated? Are you being sidelined for the gospel? That's the big idea today. Are you being sidelined for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ? Maybe today you feel that. You, you are, um, you're not able to serve as much in church because you have beloved unbelievers at home who really need your attention. Or, or maybe you have lost that opportunity at work or at school to advance because of the fact that you're a Christian. Maybe others, you just feel so confounded. You don't confounded like this. You just feel like you can't go anywhere. You just feel stuck. You feel sidelined. You feel forgotten about. Well, I want to remind you that God has not forgotten about you, that God is in control. Did you realize he is the majority partner in the gospel? As I taught you last week. God is the majority partner in the gospel. We are to be joyful partners in this gospel, and God's the majority partner. And I remind you that the harvest is plentiful. When uh, Adrian Hoyt and I were in Africa, 
um, we heard one African leader say this, the harvest is plentiful, but it's rotting in the fields. Do you believe that? Do you believe there are people in your workplaces, in your schools, in your community, in our community that do want to know Jesus? They want their lives changed by Jesus Christ. It's just we have to have a new boldness to go and tell them about this new life that Jesus is offering them. Maybe you're sidelined for the gospel because of that. Because of the fact that God wants to do something special that you're not even aware of. In fact, today I want to, to go over three, three ways you may be sidelined for the gospel. I'm calling it three sidelines. Here's the first sideline. Are you being sidelined for the gospel to win your opponents? To win your opponents. Look at verses 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. We, we go back to verse 1 and we find that Paul was a slave. He was a slave in Christ Jesus. He was actually free to go share the gospel and, and his master... The Lord God is now making it clear what God's, God's plans were for Paul. It's prison. And why? Why was he in prison? To win, to win his opponents. To win God's opponents. Here's the explanation. God put Paul deep into the heart of enemy territory to be captured so that God could capture the hearts of his enemies. Isn't that awesome? And Paul has come to the realization, maybe in, during all the, the, the times he was in, 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 uh, in, in cells and in, um, on shipwrecks, maybe at those times he wasn't feeling that. Maybe he was struggling. But there came a point, at this point where he's writing in Philippians, that he actually understands God's plan for him. And that brought about great encouragement. See, the Apostle Paul was, was chained between, between two guards. One on his right and one on his left. 24-7. 24 hours a day. And according to scholars, those, those guards would take a six-hour shift. So I don't want to stretch your math brain too much, but it's pretty easy. Like six-hour shifts, 24 hours a day means there's four shifts a day, right? So that means... Times two, you can do the math really easy, right? There's four, there's, there's, you're going to have a lot of guards in one day. you have a lot of guards. And do you think the Apostle Paul was just going to be like, well, let's talk about the weather. He's going to be talking about Jesus. He's going to be talking about Jesus. And so these guards, instead of Paul being the one who is captive, they're a captive audience. I love God's irony in all this. And if you're a preacher of the gospel, you love soldiers. I love what A.T. Robertson says this. He says, preaching to soldiers has always appealed to strong preachers. The shadow of death is the battle of tomorrow. And it brings the message close to men's hearts. 
I mean, we should all think that. If someone, a soldier is about to die, they're going to be paying more attention, right? If they're going to meet their maker. Now, the truth of the matter is, that's true for all of us. We don't know when we're going to die or not. So it gives us the urgency for the gospel. But Paul was in this special place. I mean, could have he, when, when, when those, those Roman soldiers are marching by in Jerusalem, could have he said, hey, stop for a second. I just want to preach the gospel. No. He had to get inside. He had to infiltrate them. And the way he infiltrated was God put him in prison. I told you this sounds at first ridiculous, and then God's starting to do, we're starting to see how God does amazing things, right? Now, I got to confess that I had a friend who um, was a, a pastor back in Oshawa at an Alliance Church, and he left, he left his church to become a chaplain in, a, in the army. And I always wondered, I was like, um, I wonder why he did that. And then last November, I went up to see my sister and her family who live up in Pembroke and Petawawa. And uh, my niece was um, at the base there in Petawawa. She was learning jiu-jitsu. And uh, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden this man came up, and we started talking, and I found out that he's an army chaplain. And he started telling me about what they do. He goes, I get to, like, jump out of helicopters. I get to shoot guns. And I mean, I've, I've always shotguns. I'm a hunter. Um, and I get to like do all these crazy things. We work out every day. And we get paid really well for it. Do you want to like, do you want to join our team after you find out that I had like experience in education? And, and Lori knows this. Like if I wasn't a pastor, I, at least in my mind, I think I'd be special ops. Like that's how I always thought. I love those seal movies, right? I love all those action movies. And so I'm thinking, God, th- this is what you want me to do next, right? Just for a second. This is not an announcement today. <laughs> because I realized I'm in a greater battle against the kingdom of darkness in Cambridge, Ontario. We are at DEFCON 5 here. We've been planting churches. People are coming to faith in Christ. You saw what's happening outside, right? With like, look at all the structure out there. Whenever you're building... It's, 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 a, it's putting stakes in the ground. I'm in a greater battle. And you are too. That's why we can be encouraged. We can win our opponents. Here's the application. You can handle opposition when you know God's victory is sure. You can handle opposition when you know God's victory is sure. I, I need to... No, no, today. Is there any, like, wide receivers in the house today? All right, Jay, stand up here. Come over in the, in the right, right, stand right there. Okay, it's okay if, like, I tackle you, right? Sure. <laughs> okay, so, so, yeah, Corona, sorry, Corona. Did you guys get a lot of, like, fist bumps? You kind of bruised the, from today. So, like, some might, some might accuse me of pastoral abuse right there. Or you're not having a safe work environment, right? But here's Jay. He used to play for the University of Guelph Griffins. He volunteered to get hit by really bigger and stronger guys, right? And why did you do that, Jay? Because it was fun. I loved it. 
right? That's how wide receivers are. They, they know they're going to get creamed. They know they're going to get hit. But you can handle opposition when you know the victory. Sure, because you're going to catch the ball. Your team's going to go down the field. They're going to score, right? Isn't that true for us? That you can handle opposition from the evil one when you know you're going to get hit. But you know that the victory is sure. Let's give Jay a hand. You may be seated. All right. We might have lost him after that. Yeah. I think I tackled too high on that one, by the way. So, Paul's victory was sure. He, he, he makes this very clear. He makes it very clear here. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's not losing. He's advancing. You're advancing. You're advancing when you're suffering for the Lord. Now, think about this. This is the way of the gospel. There's a, we're often sidelined, but we're often sidelined for a bigger game with bigger stakes. Think about Jesus. Jesus himself was sidelined. The greatest sideline that ever happened. He's up in heaven, comes down to earth, born of a virgin in a lowly stable, has to flee to Egypt, He's poor, grows up poor, works in the trades up north in a backwater town in Galilee. Then he finally starts his ministry. All his family reject him. They think he's crazy. His brothers think he's crazy. Does some amazing miracles, but at the very end of his life, he's falsely accused, put on trial, in a, in a sham trial. He's... He's then convicted, falsely convicted, dies on a cross after being beaten, mocked, dies naked on a cross. He's sidelined until, until he rose from the grave. And the gospel advanced. Did it not? And he won his opponents. And guess here's the great truth. You and you and you and all of us, including myself, are enemies of God, and yet he won us. Praise God. So are you being sidelined for the gospel to win your opponents? But you might not just be sidelined to win your opponents. There's another thing that God might be doing. You might be sidelined to pick up your discouraged teammates to pick up your discouraged teammates. Um, this is opposite of how we see the world thinks, the messages that you hear all week long. I'll show you this picture. Here, here's what I saw yesterday at the store. It takes strength to lift yourself up. Love you. You hear these kinds of messages all the time. What's the problem with that? There are times where I just don't have the strength to lift myself up. How about you? I can't go on. I need another person outside of myself to help me out. And here's where we find the Apostle Paul. God uses other people to encourage us. Think about it. 
the Philippians should have been on the run. They should have been hiding. When a leader like in a, in a terrorist group is caught, everybody goes into caves. But not the Philippians. What does it say in verse 14? And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Most of the brothers. All of a sudden, he, Paul is picking up his teammates. It's awesome. Sometimes it's like the coach. Maybe Paul's like the coach on the sidelines. And he's, he's the one taking the heat. Encourages the whole team. Here's the explanation. God put Paul through a massive trial so others would be able to overcome lesser ones. Lesser ones. I love reading about um, people who are suffering for the name of Christ. Nick Rebkin in his great book and then turned movie called The Insanity of God, which we have in our library. We've shown the movie. Talks about the fact that there was this pastor in communist Russia who um, was was imprisoned for his faith. And he, uh, he was beaten by these guards in front of his family, including his young son. And that was in an effort to deter that family from continuing to walk in the faith. Well, other than, instead of actually discouraging that, that young son, that young son grew up, followed Jesus even more closely because he saw the courage of his dad and he actually became a pastor in that church. Maybe a little closer to home, Mike Fiji is a man I went to Moody Bible Institute with in Chicago. He's actually from this area. His dad was martyred for Christ. And you know what, what Mike did? Did he just say, oh, that's it. You, God, you're taking my, my dad from me. I just want nothing to do with you. No, he actually became a missionary and he has served for decades to help young children. That's the God we serve. Courage is contagious. Courage is contagious. Here's the application. You can overcome your trial by seeing others who are going through bigger ones. That's why you need to read missionary biographies. That's why you need to, to look at other person's life and get close enough. That's why we have small groups so you can hear about other trials. Like, oh, mine's not as bad. I can keep going. That's why we meet together. We, we, we overcome our fears where many people are afraid to be in public places. We overcome because we need one another to encourage us, to pick each other up. I love the story of what happened a few weeks ago, right on my birthday. The hurricane, the Carolina, Carolina Hurricanes were playing your maple leaves. And you know I've been saving this illustration. You know that. As a Bruins fan. Well, the Hurricanes goalie, first goalie went down. Then in what I think was kind of a dirty play, the Leafs bruiser 
knocks out, gives a little elbow to the head of the, the next Canes goalie. And so David Ayers, the Zamboni driver, finds himself on the ice. First two shots. Two goals for the Leafs. The Leafs are coming back. Well, what happens? The Hurricanes, they rally. They're like, they're blocking shots. They're doing everything they can to rally around their teammates. And as a gift for my birthday, <laughs> the Hurricanes won that game. Exactly. But I loved it, not just for David Ayers, the story of him getting, being the first emergency goalie ever to get an NHL win, but for the fact that teammates came alongside each other, right? We're teammates. We come alongside each other. When we see another person going through a bigger trial, it helps us. Listen, my dad, I would call him going through some difficult trials, and I'd say, and, and I'd say Dad, you don't know what they're doing to me. And he goes, son, have you hung on a cross for six hours? <laughs> no, <laughs> I have not. Then get back out there, right? That's following Jesus. That's following Jesus. So are you being sidelined to to either win your opponents or to pick up the discouraged teammates. But there's one more. There's one more sideline. Are you being sidelined for the gospel to assist selfish superstars? Now here's where it gets really crazy. We see this in verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. What an attitude of Paul. Here's the explanation. Some leaders were actually, if you can imagine this, they were critical of Paul's imprisonment. For his years in prison saying, this kind of proves your legitimacy. They, they were using it to discredit him and his message so they, they could put him down and build themselves up. And here's the worst part. Look at verse 17. It says, but thinking to afflict me. He's already in prison. And they're trying to afflict him. I mean, it hurts when people outside of the faith hurt you. you kind of, but you kind of expect it. You're like that wide receiver, right? Like Jay. But it hurts a lot more when someone inside the church hurts you, right? And that's what Paul was experiencing. But here's the application. Here's what we must do. We must think about the Lord and we must endure personal attacks for the advancement of the gospel. I'm not trying to minimize your hurt at all today. But again, remember what Christ has done for us. And second of all, here's where we, I, I just confess, where I, I've, I've messed up many times. I have thought, oh, that person's going through a hard time. They must, oh, they must have really sinned. God's, God's upset with them. That's what they were trying to accuse Paul of. But we, we cannot judge another person's suffering as judgment from God. 
It might be, it might not be. Most likely it's not. God's just using them. He's sidelining them for the sake of the gospel. This is so important. We must, we must have a different perspective. I love what um, Dr. Wayne Baxter in his, his book, um, Growing Up to Get Along, our, our book of the month, really commentary on Philippians. Thanks, Wayne, for this illustration. Here we go. In 2008, college senior Sarah Tolkowski was a member of her school softball team, which qualified her for the championship of the Great Northwest Athletic Conference Softball League. In the second inning, she hit what appeared to be her first ever home run. The ball sailed right out of the park. And then while rounding the bases, after touching first, she, or after missing first, she realized that she didn't touch first, and so she had to go back. And she twisted real quick, and she tore a ligament in her knee. And now she's crawling back to first base. Because here's the thing. The rule is you can't have another teammate help you along. So here's the amazing thing. Mallory Holtman and Liz Wallace, two players from another team, went to Sarah, and they picked her up and carried her, and they made sure that each base that they came upon, she touched with her left foot. And, score, and Sarah scored her home run. And Mallory and Liz's teams lost the game. But Mallory and Liz weren't thinking about what was best for them or even what was best for their team. In that moment, they only thought of what was best for Sarah. That's what a gospel-at-all-cost attitude looks like. And the Apostle Paul had that gospel-at-all-cost attitude. Someone had it even greater, and that was Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross to win his opponents, to pick up his discouraged teammates, And to even take us superstars who think we can live life on our own, who think that we're in control, and he died for us, and he rose again. See, we've all been superstars, haven't we? We've tried to be. We've tried to be superstars of our life. And yet, Jesus came to die for all of us. So, is it worth it being sidelined for the gospel? Absolutely. None of us would be here without, without someone being sidelined for the gospel. And here's the promise. He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Until when? The day of Christ Jesus. The day of Christ Jesus.